and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Monday night, we are back after a nice old weekend. Uh, no Bickler, but I am your host as always here in Chicago. Let me do the quick weather updates as if I didn't bitch about it enough this morning in the morning show. It's been nasty and stormy and everything. And I've been up since six o'clock thanks to two dogs who do not like storms. And with us, like I say, no Bickler, traveling as always, roaming around the world, causing havoc wherever he goes with no sleeves. Uh, but Galley is with us. Galley, what is happening? Yeah, I am I am a little worried about the people of the keys with those <laughs> sleeveless arms rolling up through there. Um, but we should get a weather report at some time. Bickler's, Bickler's arms probably brought a hurricane to the Keys. Um, and they also brought rain clearly to Chicago and the Northeast because it has done nothing but piss rain since about midday yesterday. I don't mind rain on a Sunday where I don't want to go do stuff and don't want to walk the dog, want to just chill and watch football and maybe make like a pot roast or something. But like a Monday make where a I got to roast. Like, well, just something warm in the house, make the food smell, the whole house smell good. You know, like a rainy day type of chilling out inside. Okay. But the last thing I want is a Monday morning where it's just ass and like pissing rain. I can't get the dog outside. He doesn't want to go outside to go to the bathroom. He's irritated in the morning. You know, it got to the point where Kelly ended up staying home. So, yeah, you know what? Weather updates aren't right. And, uh, yeah, we should all probably be in Bermuda. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Uh, Essay is with us as well. Good evening, sir. Well, uh, good afternoon probably over there. But, okay, so let's get to uh, no Bickler, but, 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 but. We cannot have enough of Bickler. We have to future Bickler either way. So I don't know. Uh, our regular contributor, Burke, who does shorts actually out of our Monday night podcast and publishes them, has also, also does, like, a lot of, like, playing around with our videos. So I figured... Instead of playing the Bickler sample, I will play this that he has done. It's a gem, and we will be playing it probably regularly. I don't know if we were able to get it on YouTube yet, but it will not only be this could go viral, is all I got to no. say. No. All right, here oh, we no. go. Here we go. Oh, no. Uh, giveaway over here. The requirement is heading over to our YouTube channel and subscribing over there. And with any of our shows and stuff, like Bickler always says, smash that like button. Like and subscribe, smash that like button. Uh, that I can play that like on a loop for like 20 times. <laughs> we'll do I will just do a show with you just saying that. Like and subscribe, smash that like button. Like and subscribe, smash that like button. Like and subscribe, smash that like button. Smash, 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 smash that like button. Ah, uh, thanks to Burke. You know, what would we do without Bickler making an appearance over here? We will be using this. He probably feels horrible that he ever fell into that trap of recording that live on a podcast. But we will be using it over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, I, my favorite shorts of all time over there. Um, maybe we'll get you, Galley. Do one of these. Take the hoodie off. Put the sleeveless tank on. Let's do it. I think what happened to me that time was, and I'm happy we haven't resurrected it at all. Was the time, <laughs> the time that I was still in like the old, old spare bedroom, and I had one of my like epic rants, and that was the one in the middle of it. Burke actually made because I put my hands up and did this, and Burke basically made me look like Elmo with the on fire. 
that's probably the worst one uh, that I can recall of me on there. Um, but, you know, hey, if you can't be famous, you might as well be infamous. And, well, Bickler already was. So he's just adding to adding to the lure and the legend. <laughs> famous and infamous at the same time. Yes. Uh, as much as uh, we do this, sadly, uh, there's a lot of uh, probably ugly footage on all of us at this point. That can be shorter. 82 and sunny out in California. Must be yeah. nice. So I'm just not going to feel so bad next time you're whining, Sir Z, in the middle of the night. I to get up in the middle of the night. It's not even morning out here to watch a game. It's 82 degrees. I'm going to be shoveling in the, in less than like a month. I'm going to probably be out there like cleaning snow off cars and scraping windows. And you're living in 82 degrees in sunny California. So, yeah, you got to wake up three times a year before five in the morning. I think it's a good trade-off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will get that trade-off any day. Well, this one was pretty darn early itself, mind you. But the mornings are not as bad. When you win, get it out of the way, and you can look ahead to the rest of the weekend. Uh, we get the win. Honestly, uh, despite even – it was like an odd feeling for me this entire game. I like, talked about it yesterday in the post-match too. Like Despite the first half being 1-1, it just never felt – I never felt frustrated or – disappointed like oh we gotta do this we're not doing this very well today and stuff like that it just felt like it was a matter of time and the win was going to come and it's odd when i feel that comfortable because that's not my style that's not how i roll yeah so i you know it's funny you said i felt weird the whole match some of which because when it was one nil i didn't feel great because it felt like West Ham was kind of doing some things to move our defenders around a little bit. Uh, we talk, we'll get into the goal and, and Bowen's, you know, brave, brave header. Cause that's what that was. Yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> I want to talk about Virgil cause I've gone back and watched actually the whole first half again, come back on a little bit of my comments in the discord channel. I think what me and Paul were talking was a bigger picture. And I think to your point was the best comment of it all was today's not the day to have this conversation because he's playing really well. And then we doubled down and then we doubled down because we wanted our points heard, but never really actually quantified the fact that you were actually, I hate saying this out loud, right? Um, oh, I feel a new shortcoming. <laughs> <laughs> that probably was. All right, Burke, seven minutes, 10 seconds. The asshole spoke. Um, but, you know, and, and, but what I'm getting at here is, is I did think there was still some real issues with our defensive, um, almost partnerships. And I think a lot of it is coming down to Robertson, just playing people way on sides constantly and putting his defenders and his, and, and you know, and the other members of the back line in duress. The weird thing for me was, was I almost felt worse when we went up to one before we got the third goal. than I did at one, one, or even after Darwin missed the sitter, which you know, we'll all hang on that sitter like it was the only opportunity to score a goal all match, and there were about five other great opportunities that no one else took. But when Darwin does it, it's literally always highlighted. And that's okay because we also hug him and hold him like an eight-year-old when he scores, yeah. whether they're worldies or not. And listen, if that's the relationship he's going to have with that crowd, where when he scores, they're five times louder than anybody else. I don't mind at all because it looks to me like he's playing off of that. But as far as that first half went, 
I felt like there were a few opportunities the defense could have stepped up to do things a little better. I thought Allie was a little shaky at times on a couple of those set pieces early, which we talked about in the pre-match, which almost made me really nervous because I said things like, Antonio bullies us on set pieces. And then they almost scored on like their first three set pieces. And let's be honest, if Allie doesn't go down and make that amazing save when Suchek is wide open in the middle of the box, who knows what kind of result this is if we go down one nothing instead of already being up one nil, right? So great performance, weird, kind of weird day at the office, in my opinion. Well, you started with Nunez, so let's talk about that first. I was going to start with the back line, but since we started the Nunez conversation, let's keep going on that. Do you think it is a kind of a ordeal where we want this money justified and we want this kid to reach the potential that we're hoping he will with the money spent? So when he scores, it's almost like a confirmation of that. So people are a lot more relieved. And when he misses, we kind of worry that do we really blow it on this? Because like we talked about a lot last year when he came in the same time as Holland. He's like, you know, like scoring goals for fun. And then, you know, you see like Nunez initially struggling, struggling with the press, struggling with the system and stuff like that. I think he's gone past a lot of those. And, you know, having seen like the City game, the last couple of weeks, like the highlights of him, like Holland has missed some sitters as well. But I think he's kind of past that now because you already got the, oh, he's a goal scorer. I mean, Kane missed sitters too. Mo misses stuff too. But now with Nunez, I almost feel like everything gets looked at a bit more carefully because we're either trying to justify the money spent and the potential compared to, oh, my God, I hope we didn't blow $80 million on this dude. I, I think you're right, but I also think that the English media helps that because they picked Holland as the savior and the fan favorite, and he can never do any wrong. And they started trying to write stories about Nunez being a bust before he had ever played. I mean, they basically said that a guy with 15 goals and eight assists in his first full season in England, not being able to speak English, was a mitigated failure. Not like not having a great year wasn't good enough. You think that's a factor, by the way? That what you just said, like the media, because he can't give stuff to media because he doesn't speak English. So the media is like basically doubles down on him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an absolute factor. And I think, I mean, I want to be honest. I think it's, we, we see it happen sometimes in American sports, like when like Japanese baseball players come over or foreign basketball players come over and until they can speak, they have no mouthpiece. They get to say nothing. Yeah. And in turn, it's like it, when they do speak, everything that happens is inferred. Like, we just infer, oh, that's what he meant by this. It's like, no, actually, like, Djokovic just really loves his country and wants to go home, and he didn't realize he had to stay here for another 72 hours for this NBA title-winning parade. But it's really not, like, an embarrassment to the city of Denver, and they probably don't have parades in Bosnia unless they're literally, or Serbia, unless they're literally, like, used to like fight off a tank or something and stop like an opponent from coming to war. I mean, this is a, this is like a real life situation. And I think foreign players always have it harder in new countries. And I think that's part of this. I also think there are dinks in this world. And I think there are dinks that you don't love to root for. And um, hear me out here. I think when Suarez got here, we liked him because we knew there was a ton of talent. But we also knew there was some weird stuff at Ajax. He had this weird personality. 
And when he didn't hit the ground running, it wasn't like it was the Luis Suarez where they're singing his song from the rafters, like all around Anfield. There were questions. Is he worth the money? How good is he? But he was foreign, didn't speak a lot, and he wasn't banging in goals. I think with Nunez, there is a universal understanding that this is a really good kid. And I think the way his teammates celebrate every goal he has, I think that like, I think the supporters in the stadium, especially are actually building off his emotions on the pitch and how much his teammates want him to succeed. And I personally think that's because they see him every day in training and they know there is two more levels of greatness in him. I, I genuinely believe we don't know yet if he's a bust, we know he's not a bust. We yeah. don't know yet if he is going to be a gem or if he's going to be like the next great icon type player. But there's a chance that this kid could be like everything he's made out to be and even more. And it almost seems like the players feel that way. And I think the supporters in the stadium are are picking up what the players are putting down, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think so. You do see the like the players especially happy for him because i think obviously they see and read and all the stuff that's been you know they know the pressure that's on him and they probably understand the pressure that's on him even though he can't he couldn't probably tell them they probably feel it because you know that's most of those guys at one point in their career probably been there uh maybe not as much as the pressure he has with the price tag i mean Cersei says is anyone thinking about the money anymore i think you're always thinking about the money I think the spotlight is just brighter. I don't think every move Gakpo does or everything Gakpo does gets analyzed as much as everything Nunez does. Not only by fans, by media and overall, because the price tag just makes that spotlight brighter. So when people are watching you, I think everything is analyzed a bit more detailed. Uh, Shelton says his confidence makes you want him to do well. And I think that's the thing where we almost all feel the pressure that he felt and we know with every single goal that he scores every positive impact he does that like almost like a brick wall around them and brick by brick oh, they're like folding off and he is going to just burst out of the wall at the end and start kicking some ass if he is not already he already makes a huge impact in games the way things are yeah, I mean, I mean, I I just feel like the Newcastle match as a whole, like yeah. it just was such a moment for him. It was such a big time. Uh, it was such a big opportunity for him to shine on such a big stage and then to take them both the way he did and as late as they were. And then, you know, he he creates goals, you know, he helps create the penalty for Mo at, you know, by basically just running at the entire West yeah. Ham team. Um, he's, his pressing has gotten so much better. He looks like he understands where he's supposed to be at different times on the pitch. And then, you know, he misses the sitter, which I don't think was as easy of a finish. It's gotta be on target. I don't think it's as easy yeah. as everyone made it out, but it has to be on target. But the, the goal he scores, I mean, let alone keeping yourself on side on the run, but yeah. the goal itself, the way he takes it. And how nonchalant he makes it look. I mean, it's just like he's celebrating in the corner before the ball goes over the shoulders, or the goalie's shoulder. Like he knew the moment he touched it, he's already got that smile, the grin. He's getting ready to do his heart sign up to his partner in the press box. It's just, 
it, it, it's a joy to watch. I, I wish I was there. That was right where we were sitting in that corner when I went to the match with Megan. It, we would have been right in front of us. I couldn't imagine what that would have been like to celebrate that moment. For the people that were there on uh, Sunday, good on you, good on Darwin. And uh, I just hope they just can somehow figure out how to keep it up. Yeah, I mean, like I say, like you said, his press has gotten better. And I think that was like the biggest issue when I was like really criticizing his play in the past was the press because we could not start it and we could not do it. And when we could not, especially with the midfield we have, but regardless of the midfield you have, if you cannot start the press properly, the worst press is a half-ass press because uh, it puts, which is, you know, something that United loves doing, for example, and it just makes everything um, more difficult for midfield and Yoka says he's missed so many opportunities. Yes, he's unbelievably talented, but must be more clinical. I think he knows how to finish. I mean, the goals in the Newcastle game, like this goal, we've seen it last year. He knows how to hit the ball and finish. He knows where the ball should go for a good finish. And I think with most strikers, half the battle for most goal scorers is being there. And he's there. He's in that situation. He's getting open. He's making that run. And I think those are big things to look at. He's young as hell. So if you look at the improvement from last year to this year, yep. it only makes you kind of like, you know, drool a little bit thinking of what's more to come right now. Because the biggest holdout for me was I we knew he could score. We knew he could cause havoc. because We knew he was fast. We knew he's big and he's strong and all that kind of stuff. We just did not know if he can control the monster, if you will, and be able to play within the team, press with the team, defend with the team. And this year, I think he's shown he can do those. And I think that was the biggest step to take. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. And I think the idea, you know, I think I mentioned it maybe in our Discord or somewhere in one of the arguments I was having with somebody on Sunday. You know, it's just scary. It's scary good. But when you think about the pace that you have in Diaz, Nunez, and Mo with Sobislav running behind them, like the actual sheer top-end pace that those four players have to actually commit to defenders and make defenders try to defend is just it, – it, it's, it's only going to make this side better as we figure out how to utilize it more. And I think every match I see a more cohesive front – three and attack and utilizing Sobislai's talents. And I think it's making Mo look better and better week in and week out more. Uh, I think he was, I think he was at his best in my opinion of all the matches this year on Sunday. I thought that was like top level Mo. I think he's creating for others. I, I, I feel like he's taking his game to the point where he's becoming even more of an all around footballer. Yes. than maybe the pure goal scorer he was years ago. And in some ways, this is not a shot at Bobby. I think we needed a pure goal scorer when the best footballer on the pitch was playing in the center. Now the best footballer on the pitch might be playing on the right, and the best goal scorer is in the center. And Mo actually knows it makes some sense to set that guy up because this kid's an absolute beast. And they're really starting to create um, some really nice interplay together. And I'm seeing a similar thing with Diaz. And I just, I think the sky's the limit for this offensive attack. And I do kind of feel for Gakpo and all this because Jota's the super sub who comes on and just scores goals. Yeah. And I think in all this, Gakpo is kind of getting lost a little bit and falling further down the pecking order. But we all know 
there's a big match on Wednesday for him to start. There's yeah. big goals for him to score this year. So really excited to see where that goes as well. And Gakpo kind of pushing himself back into the first 11 uh, questions because that's really going to help our side. Yeah, I mean, those are great problems to have. Uh, yes. Problems we did not have. Uh, so let's bring it. If you're going to have any problems, bring those on. Uh, Yorga says, I hope I'm not butchering the name, by the way. So Iwi tells me how to pronounce it. But I'm going to go with Yoka. <laughs> Uh, let's go with that. Uh, but um, I think the weird thing with Nunez is he's saying he's so scary when he comes at you, he'll be huge. It's weird because with Mo and Diaz, you don't want them coming at that speed with the ball. And when they're coming at you with the ball with their full speed, you're like, you don't know where to go. As a defender, especially as a center back, when the, you know, you're always told not to let that ball bounce. And, dude, I'm telling you, once that ball bounces once – in a long, long pass, even if it's like an aimless misplaced pass, you do not want Nunez coming at you full speed behind you because that's what causes havoc. Yoka says it's close enough. Hey, as a as a name like I have in Timuchin, trust me, I I am used to. I'm sure he's used to people butchering it regularly. That's why I kind of switched it to halfway Tim at times to make life easier to people. But Yali, can you say Timuchin by the way? Timuchin. Damn man! Well, Alvin, it only took you freaking four years. Uh, it only took me. Yeah, I think it was. I think it's actually about two and a half. Um, but I still, I still wouldn't even try to pronounce your last name because I just want to call you U.S. Yes, I uh, have never heard that one. Uh, <laughs> that commercial with like Alan Iverson is like, oh, AI. He's like, yeah, I never heard that one. Yeah, I feel like the same way anytime somebody says your ass. Okay, let's go back to the game. Let's go back to the lineup, the defense, in the pre-match when we talked. Probably the biggest concern was the right side of that back line, right? Um, with Gomez and Matip, especially with Antonio, we felt like, you know, hey, if Konate is available, it would probably be better to match up physically. I thought Matip probably had one of his best games in terms of, like, overall play. And same goes for Gomez. I do feel for him when he gets that ball in the middle as an inverted fullback because he looks so lost, even though he did some good things with it. There are times where he's like, you know, I should not be here. Like, he has the ball in his foot looking around. But I thought he made some good runs, and he had an excellent game. I'm a huge Gomez supporter. I think he gets a lot of shit for uh, unnecessarily. And I was extremely impressed with both of them this weekend. Yeah, I, I would have put Matip somewhere up near my man of the match. Like, I saw a great meme. Um, it was like one of those things that had four different quadrants on the box. And it was like after the match, things Matip found in his pockets. It was like cell phone, keys, wallet. And then it was just a picture of Antonio. <laughs> um, it was awesome. You know, obviously Antonio ran his mouth. He has had a lot of success against the club. I never dislike when players on other teams talk shit not because i think our team needs it because if you're a lesser club and you're a supporter of west ham what do you want them to say like we're gonna go to anfield and get beat we're gonna finish behind liverpool this year oh you want them to say like i don't want them to say anything i don't want them like really you know poking the bear either just don't say but i don't really believe that that had anything to do with how they played, oh, no, no, how no. they how they performed, how they set up. So, but I know what you're saying. But my point is, if you're gonna do one or the other, if you're oh, either yeah. gonna talk 
or you're just going to lob bouquets of roses and tell them how great they are. And City plays the most beautiful football. And we're just lucky to be on a pitch with them. Like, I hate when teams go into big games talking how great the opposing quarterback is. Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. No, he could be. But on Sunday, we're going to make him anybody else. Like, if you, you, you believe you like can compete. It does, because on Sundays we'd beat them. That's because we'd beat them. I was waiting to get that shit in there. Well played. Thank you very much. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I live right here in Springfield, Massachusetts, so I'm insufferable. Um, country, yeah. yeah, so but I guess where my bigger thing with Matip was, was I thought his performance was great. He went forward at the right times. He picked out the right passes. But he was really, really good with his man on defending. Yeah. And when he had to run down the channels, when he had to help out for Gomez, I'm always worried about his pace and where in the spaces he leaves behind when players go forward and having Gomez cover it. I thought he was great. And you know what? He puts in a lot, a few more performances like that. It's going to be a lot harder for Kanate to be the first name on the team sheet because the guy hasn't proven that he can be fit enough to be relied upon for long stretches at a time. And honestly, even in those stretches, there are times where he plays really, really great and times where he kind of still looks raw. And a really good Joel Matip is still a big, big thing. And I think it honestly is something that makes Virgil more comfortable than anyone else playing alongside him. I want to get to the defense thing. I think Yoko was asking about it earlier. Uh, but let's not forget about this, especially if you're following us and watching us on Facebook. Uh, make sure to head on over to our YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, five days left in this giveaway to win a home jersey of your size. So uh, head on over to the YouTube side of things. Just hit subscribe and you are in. Uh, let's go back to the defense thing because I think, yeah, there we go. Yoko was saying, uh, guys, we need to shore our D. Honestly, I know it's a very unpopular, unpopular opinion. Uh, and whenever I say it, I get, uh, I hear about it, but if there's a problem in this back line right now, uh, especially this week, I thought was uh, glaringly obvious, is Robertson and him messing up that back line and not trusting the line over and over and over again. Look at any of the most of the opportunities we gave up to West Ham this weekend. The ball came at a diagonal because, and I realized Bowen on his side, so the danger was more on that wing, but he was so terrified of Bowen and Bowen's speed and his runs that he kept messing up this line. And this is not something new. But I think the difference now is, first of all, it feels like the gap is getting bigger between him and the line. It was only like a, a couple of feet. And now it's like he's like three, four guys ahead of the line. And I think Van Dyke is not as much of a superman anymore. He's still a very good center back and I had an excellent game. In the past, Van Dyke was able to close that gap in a heartbeat and you didn't notice it. But I feel like he sets it up over and over and over again, just like he did with the goal in a couple of situations beforehand. I feel like most of the dangers are coming from that side. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mentioned it earlier, and I've mentioned it in the Discord. I've been worried about Robertson in the drop-off of his play for about a year now. Um, started to see it out of last year's World Cup. I felt like that run with Scotland would just took so much out of them just emotionally and how invested they were the 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 big euro run then you have the mid-season world cup we know he gives everything when he's on the pitch and we'll probably talk about his the deputy that's behind him and the news that came out today about him but i also don't think that he offers him 
enough competition for his place to actually force him to stay at top form. Um, I know I'm not, I split opinion on him. Uh, some really like him, some not so much. I'm probably more in the, I'm more disappointed in him today in Simicast today than I was 18 months ago, two years ago when I thought he might kick on and start to actually maybe fight for a, a an actual spot someday in the 11 or, or like carve out his own role. I don't even feel like he's carved out a role. I feel like he's an afterthought. And I think anytime he plays, we always have a conversation about why he doesn't fit in. And I think tactically with our new formation, it doesn't work. And it, in some ways, I think to your point, part of this new formation with Trent tucking in, playing the inverted role in some ways might be to almost pull Robertson back and bring him back into defending a little more and not be bombing forward. Because I really believe when we really in our heart of hearts, think about the great, great Andy Robertson moments in red, they're either the moments of him like chasing guys down on sheer will yeah, or the shithousery stuff against Messi and pushing people in the face and getting in guys grill or creating on the attacking end. I don't like ever remember like real great one-on-one defending more and more. What I remember is, is balls getting crossed from the left or the right side and questioning his positioning and his defensive awareness of, why he doesn't cut runners off, why he doesn't cover the back post. like, And I think you're on to something where I think a lot of that was covered up by just how superhuman yeah. Virgil van Dyke was. And now that he's just a mere mortal, which still makes him one of the better center halves in the world, it's not enough to make up for the fact that you want to be a left wing playing left fullback, yet you want to drop back like we're not playing a high line like that's the part that i just don't understand is it mental coming from the defender side is that mental is that preparation is it confidence that he can make up the ground like what's causing him to drop off because they clearly must be looking at it on film and talking about it right you would think so you were like hey look you're screwing up the line again kind of a thing i i think it's a combination it's more being afraid of the like the run and afraid of the pace that you're not going to get back there if that guy makes the run through is the way I will look at it. And I like Surzi says, I feel like they did not have a, uh, you know, have the same relationship. Not that Diaz's work rate is different, but I feel like they don't have the same chemistry that they had with Mane in terms of those runs. That could be partially because what you're saying, the formation is different than when Sadio was here uh, with Trent's new role. So everything is shifted a little bit. So that could be why. I just feel like, and it's not like, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like the dude just scored the winner last week. Uh, so it, it's not like his play is so subpar or anything like that. I just feel like when we talk about defensive issues, I think right now he is the main cause because of those balls being like played over and it goes on. We did a lot of football analogies today. I mean, if you know that guy is going to be constantly pushed back there, that diagonal is always going to go on that side. It's almost like a cornerback playing off the wide receiver afraid of his pace. So if you want that five yard pass comeback route is always there. So if you, you know, take what the defense gives you kind of a thing, like, you know, they say in NFL. So if that diagonal is always there, they're going to always run that guy, run on him. I mean, this is 
if I'm noticing it, I'm sure people smarter than me, soccer-wise, are noticing it and saying, hey, we got to take advantage of this. The right wing has to push Robertson back. And that's that's something that I guess, I mean, you always see Virgil <laughs> screaming at him. <laughs> but it, like, it's just like you don't scream at him so much. I mean, the center back set the line and you got to kind of go with it. He's It's Robertson's responsibility to see where van dyke who is the boss of that back line is setting that line and kind of like staying over there I and mean, we always picked on trends but that's the thing you know trend sometimes does this and you know usually your right back or left back will always screw you over because they're kind of worried about the wingers run but it's always like you know very close i noticed in the last couple of weeks the gap is really big with robertson but let's go back to that uh we were just literally talking about it the morning coffee show uh, with Matush this morning and I don't know uh, maybe I'm going with like recent memory bias like you're saying but I have not seen a good Costas performance in quite some time and at one point we were like oh this guy is just as good as Robertson you know like he can really relieve we have another like we have two great left backs and I just don't have that confidence now he looked so weak in the last Europa game He's going to get more chances. We were talking about him. Maybe he needs a run of games. You think he just needs a run of games to get back to the guy we saw who can do that killer cross from the left and still can defend? Or that was, again, Van Dyke being superhuman? Well, I, 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 think, I think the killer cross is there because I think he has a, a wand of a left foot. But I do think part of using that wand of a left foot is, is actually – playing enough that you get to get into a flow and you get used to your players. I don't think he's ever truly gotten over Mane leaving, to be honest, because Mane created space to allow him to go to the outside. And I don't think Diaz creates that area on the pitch. So like you almost need like, to me, it would almost be like, I would love to see Gakpo start on the left, you know, the place that he played before he came to Liverpool and we changed his position and come inside the way he would for PSV Einhoden and create that overlap, maybe in like the league cup against Leicester and let Costas actually play like we used to play with the attacking bombing left back. Yeah. But that almost means we have to go back and play a four, three, three, a traditional four, three, three, but will Klopp do that? At this point, he's shown a reluctance to to deviate from this inverted fullback um, formation. I, you know, maybe if he gives Endo a start, play with more of a traditional six, you'd play more of a traditional four three three. You know, and I, I just my bigger concern is, or my personal opinion here is, and I hope this is the case. I really hope that he had. I think he had one year left on his deal. I'm hoping this is a long term deal on reasonable wages to make it so that if a middling club in either Italy or France or a lower level Premier League team was looking for a player that he might be a perfect player that we would be able to sell for a profit, reinvest in the squad. Cause I don't see him as a long standing replacement for Robertson. So why do you keep signing a backup who really is, 
a big step below and really isn't the same player, in my opinion. But I could be totally being a cynic here. I don't that know. That was my initial response. <laughs> I was like, I hope this is so that we get something for him. Brian Shelton's saying the same thing. Is it just so we actually get a fee for him? And I guess if you think about it, or is he the Adrian of left backs? <laughs> like, he is so great for the squad, kind of an ordeal. And but or it could be kind of best of both worlds you know you're going to get he's gonna get a lot more playing time uh whether it's europa league cup fa cup uh, a lot more games with the thursday games there'll be more rotation so i think he will get more playing time if he does well you it gives you two options then to maybe move him for a good fee or yep. why move him you have the right but you know you have the backup you need and if it does not, I think, yeah, you still can get something for him down the road uh, and not let him run out of his contract. We always complain about people running out their contracts. So this kind of like enables us to move him. I mean, it's not like he's like an older player or anything like that. Like I say, at one point, he looked the parts. And maybe it is the formation change, like you're saying, or it's just the fact that, you know, it's he needs several games to get back to where he was. But he looks really, really off. He did look really off, and I thought you were spot on. He looked really, really weak um, yeah. in the Europa League match against uh, LASK Lens. Lens, it was it was really, really brutal. And and you know, I think one thing you made a comment earlier, like maybe he's just that guy. You know, you need him in the side. And the one thing I will say is, is I think there are clubs and there are sides who have a guy, and you just can't let him go, like. United probably has a guy. I don't know who it is because they all look like miserable pricks, right? (laughs) That no one wants to be around. But maybe Luke Shaw's the guy. Like maybe there's a likable bloke in that room. Like there's somebody that everybody likes. It's probably like literally like freaking Tom Heaton or something. But it's 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 someone in that side. Maybe it's McTominay and it's why he's still there. Probably not. Look at that mug. No, I don't think they like. I don't think anybody likes McTominay. (laughs) There is someone somewhere, right? That is that everybody likes. On every side. I don't know that Liverpool comes across to me to be a team that needs to have one of them because I feel like they have a collection of like 20 of them. I think it would be harder to come across the dink in the room, in the Liverpool dressing room, than it would trying to come up with one of the likable guys. And I know Costas is always smiling and he's Mo's buddy and he took on kind of the Lovren love affair role with Mo because it feels like Mo is that guy that like really doesn't have many friends and needs one on every team and like he needs it to be just his like he won't share it like he's that kid in school (laughs) no no I get one I have one person at my birthday party and no none of you else are invited just Dejan um I you know I maybe that's it I just feel like this side is doing well enough that I hope a contract extension wasn't yielded to Adrian or to Costas for being the good guy. Because honestly, I mean, you only need we could probably do without. Yeah. 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 And we have one in Adrian, I feel like. And I think with this maturity and stuff, you can kind of see if you watch these videos of like inside Anfield and stuff like that, that shows some of the behind the scenes stuff or like practices and stuff like that. You can kind of see why. I mean, you can argue the wages, uh, but it's almost like we're paying an assistant manager at this point. You can kind of see the impact and you know, the stature that he has. I feel like Costas is like the Divac Origi of left backs. Very content with his role. 
He's like, I'll just sit here. If you guys ever need me, I'll come out there kind of thing. I think you can get away with that with your striker, especially if he's going to come in and score a goal in the 85th, 93rd, 90th minute and stuff like that. I just don't think that's the kind of mentality you want out of your left back. It might be, make it difficult to keep him for the long run, but to compete and push the starter, I think you want a guy who wants more minutes. And I think that's my biggest um, – I think that might be my biggest concern or issue is is that I see Costas as a guy where, like, Klopp tells him to go warm up, and he, like, jumps off the bench and is, like, smiling, like, all right, manager, I'll do that. Like, and he just goes out there and he's running around, and, like, Klopp knows there's 0.0% chance I'm putting you in this game. But literally, like you're just talking dudes' ears off on the bench. So get out there and go warm up. Go do something. You're just you're just talking to people. I can just keep hearing you in my head this whole time. And I think my bigger thing is, is if God forbid, you know, I'll knock on wood, but God forbid something happened to Robertson, he was gonna miss eight matches, ten matches, two months. I think we'd be having conversations around playing other players at left back. Yeah. I don't think Klopp would just slot this guy in against City to try to stop Phil Foden coming down the right hand side. Milner as left back, and that and that's kind of, and I think that's why I have a little bit of, I don't want to say an issue, heightened concern over this new contract because you know, and I know my guy, like someone in the transit in earlier in the comments said, who could we purchase to replace him? And, you know, I was talking earlier this year about how, like, you could do a lot worse than signing, like, a Rico Henry and having him be an understudy under Robertson, learning, you know, he's proven he can do it at right back, left back, go forward. Um, He's clearly a good defender and can create on a break, hits on the counter, has pace. But he clearly is out for a long time with a big injury. You know, I know Paul loves Aaron Hickey, and there's some other players out there, right? There's a lot of different young players but didn't we kind of learn that with the Calvin Ramsey buying a 19, 20 year old kid that you think can just step into Liverpool and like take on a role and even be in a, a, a backup. I feel in this case, we really have to really think about probably finding ourselves like a semi-established 22, 23 year old premier league ready long-term person who can push Robertson and eventually and let's push him it, to the point that he takes his job. It will get easier as obviously Robertson gets older because the new guy coming in will see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think if you're bringing a back right now to the squad, it's sadly, I mean, uh, Brian was saying earlier that comfort is always a concern, but you do want somebody who is halfway realizing that he's not going to get, you know, Trent benched uh, or, you know, like Robertson benched and stuff like that. But at least still have the drive to be, you know, grab the rebounds uh, maybe once, you know, the, the time comes. I just don't see that in Costas. It goes back to what you're saying. I think if something, let's knock on wood so we don't put this out in the universe, but if something was to happen to Robertson, I just don't feel very comfortable when I see the lineup. Let me put it this way. For all the shit that Gomez gets, I don't. I feel 10 times more comfortable if I see Gomez playing right back instead of Trent than I would Costas playing left back instead of Robertson. Because I, yeah. I know what I'm getting. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. I, I mean, I've never been like a hater of Gomez as long as people aren't expecting him to go in there and be Trent. Because I just think it's unfair. Yeah. And 
I've always felt like Gomez puts in a shift anytime he's asked to play for Trent. And then as soon as he's asked about it, the first thing he says is, well, it's, you know, I love playing for this club. I'll always play for this club, but I'm a center back. So I should really be playing at the heart of defense, you know, alongside Virgil in Joe Gomez's defense. He's still probably miffed at why they went out and spend all the money on Kanate. Cause in his mind, he's still the best right-sided center back to pair with Van Dyke. Cause the year yeah. we won the league, they were the best center back panda. I mean, that's, I mean he's world. been unlucky with some really serious injuries. And despite those, he still, I hope everybody saw his speed, by the way, that everybody said the speed is gone. I hope everybody saw it this weekend. The speed is not gone. He's still one of the fastest dudes uh, at full speeds on this team. He made a lot of good runs, very sound defensively. No, I was extremely happy for him because, like I say, I think he just gets too much uh Kind of like blame for everything miscellaneous that happens. Kind of like when you guys were pounding on poor Van Dyke over there this weekend, but that's the whole. Wish Bickler was here so we can talk to Bickler and beat him. Yeah, up. We can we can wait for that topic till he's back because he's got to get his pound in because his his is a bigger argument I think of a longer standing period. Which I and agree, I think- but I really think unless like the Saudis come in and offer like a ridiculous amount or whatever. I think Van Dyke becomes this uh, Thiago Silva-ish, knowing his limitations and playing accordingly center back as he as long as, more. As long as he is willing to make a concession to the wages that he's on that pay him as the third highest paid player in the Premier well, League, that's the only thing. behind. Like, if he expects to continue to be paid at a top, top level, at that top of a level, I... I, I just question how this club operates that they'll give a contract. Like everyone wants them to just give Mo a new deal right now. Yeah. And I understand where the sentiment comes from, but these guys don't usually hand out big multi-year contracts to players over the age of 30. So it would be interesting to see they've set club records on the last two contracts handed out one to Mo and the one before that to Virgil. It will be interesting to me to see if one of those two players gets the next largest contract or if one of those two players even gets another big bumper added on to that. I don't know that they will. So that'll be really interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see what those players, you know, where those players, excuse me, see their career at that point. I think my optimism for Van Dyke comes a little bit from the lows of last year too. And that was coming back from the injury. He looks more like the pace is a bit more back there. Um, And he's back to cutting off these balls in the air and putting him back into play, which I thought was his biggest asset. Like he was not just a defender, but he was part of the buildup as well for every ball that he won back there. I mean, and this weekend, I thought he was like a monster out there overall. Uh, The goal, can he, could he have done better? Yeah, maybe three years ago, Van Dyke does better on that one and marks more than panics because it felt like it was a panic moment where we were running back towards our goal full speed. Uh, and obviously, when the ball gets slightly cut back, it's harder to adjust. It's a lot easier for the attacker to adjust because they want to go back to their goal. So of course. that's basically what happened. So, well, real quick, I really didn't have as much time to go into the midfield because really focused on. Uh, Nunez on the defense, but let's talk a little bit about Wednesday. Let me ask you what I was asking actually the Polish Prince this morning. What do you want to see, and what do you think we will see in terms of the lineup? 
I would like there to be less rotation than the rotation we went into for the Europa League matchup, which means I don't want 11 wholesale changes. Okay. I do think that um, I, I definitely think that we need to rotate. Uh, I, I think Kelleher has to play. I think you need to give him another game. I think this should be his competition. Um, I don't know he's going to get every match in the Europa League, so I would give him this League Cup, especially in these early rounds. So I'd start Kelleher in net. I think I'd start Kwanzaa and probably Kanate. And then, I mean, I don't think we really have a choice unless we want it to start one of the kids at right back, but... I would assume it's going to be Gomez yeah. and the man on the screen um, at left back. In the midfield, I, I feel like Endo has to start at the six, and I think that uh, Elliot has to start. You can pick your other midfielder. If you want it to be Gravenberch, if you want it to be even McAllister to give some form of the first 11 to give these guys minutes with them. I'd rather give Sobislai a rest. I'd rather give Jones a rest because I think they put lots of minutes and have yes. lots of miles already on their legs. So I, I think I would maybe, if I was going with continuity, I'd start McAllister, let him play a little forward, let Endo play at the six, play Elliott on the other side. And then up top, you know, Gakpo and Jota have to start seeing the fact they've been relegated to the bench midweek. You could start Mo so you get a goal or two early. It's Lester. He likes a goal against Lester. Pound him early and get out. You could also start Ben Doak and bring Mo on in the second half to play against their kids. I, I you know, the Mo one is always a conundrum for me because I don't feel like we have real cover there. But I feel like the way he normally does it is he rarely has. I think we always say, man, just put the guys up. Let's get the lead. Then we take them out kind of thing. But he kind of does it the other way. He throws the guys out there and says, why don't you guys do it? And then it's like, you guys can't do it. Damn it. Okay, why don't you guys go back in and clean this mess up kind of a deal and right. get some minutes that way. I don't know if that enables him to control the minutes more because obviously if you start more over there and the game is still tied, you know Mo is going to be – ripping all kinds of stuff on his way out in the 60th minute or something like that. So I think that's kind of like how he protects the players in some ways from themselves, if you will. Mm. Um, so yeah. I think that's why I like your midfield, but I think we might see Ando, Gravenberg, and Elliot start in that midfield. And then Doak, Jota, and uh, Gakpo up top. And if things do not go great, then you have your regular starters be able to come off the bench. I will be especially looking forward to seeing like if Trent is available, does he come in the last 20 minutes? Because otherwise that means you're not going to just start Trent suddenly cold turkey uh, against the Spurs. So I yeah. feel like if you don't see him for the last 20 minutes or so, we might start again Gomez as right back against Spurs. Yeah, I'm hoping Trent's at least on the bench so he can get a little run out there because if he's not, then I think the Spurs match, there's probably no chance for Saturday at Spurs. It is funny that we said, I don't know that we need 11 changes, and then I sat here and rattled off players and basically told you if McAllister doesn't start, it'll be 10 changes with only Gomez starting it right back, and that's only out of necessity that we don't have another human breathing living right back. Um, so, yeah, so I guess I do want lots of changes. I think I would say, if you gave me it, I would start one in each line. I think I'd start Gomez at the back. I'd start McAllister in the mid, and I would start 
um, Mo up top with the reserve players all around them. And, you know, at some point, it probably won't happen against Spurs, so maybe I'm kind of not thinking it out. Maybe it has to be Gravenberch in that spot then just to get him more minutes and get him more experience under his belt. At some point, I do think we're going to see Gravenberch insert it for Jones to see how the McAllister, Gravenberch, Sobosly midfield three gets on. Because I do believe that there's part of Jurgen Klopp, if you smashed him with true serum, would tell you that when he bought these players and he, you know, lauded after Gravenberch for two years, it was not to be his fourth or fifth yeah. option at, at midfield. And, you know, we've all said, does that maybe drop him back? I also think Gravenberch's role changes a lot once Tiago is, is, you know, back and fit and playing again, if that ever happens. Because I think a Gravenberch-Tiago double pivot sounds about what Bayern was trying to do after they <laughs> lost Tiago and signed Gravenberch. I think, you know, it's interesting because normally League Cup, we'd be probably talking a lot of kids. I think this kind of speaks to the depth of the squad that you are making pretty much a brand new. And I know why you don't want all 11 changes because I think in the back of our head, we're always worried about because whenever we do so many changes, there's it looks so disjointed and the cohesion is not there. But if you think about it, you just made another 11 out of people who could be potential starters. Uh, maybe exception is the back line with like, you know, if everybody's healthy, I don't know if Kwanzaa, how close he is. He just still needs minutes, but these are the games that he would get. Uh, but I think, you know, your midfield up top, you're looking at guys who occasionally would start with you throughout the season and you made a League Cup starter squad out of them. So that has yeah, to I- a lot to the depth. I think it speaks to the depth, and I think it speaks to good recruitment. You know, we pounded on these guys all year long, right, for not making moves and not getting things done in time and just not doing things. They brought in four midfielders. They've assembled four solid center backs that have all played well so far. We have depth at just about every single position. You know, granted, we still a little light on right wing cover for Mo. But you know what? You don't replace Mo Salah. So what do you do? You try to find an understudy who offers a little bit of excitement and something different. And if you are going to bring a kid in with 10 minutes to go, whether the match is already done or you're just trying to run at someone, you might as well do one that has electric pace. And the kid's got electric pace and he's got confidence to go with it. And that's what I like. Like I said this, I think you said it on one of the pods. The best thing about him isn't his pace or his touch. It's that he never looks like the moment's too big for him to make the right decision. He doesn't always execute because that's what happens to 18-year-old kids. But I don't think I've ever seen him do something in me be like, oh, my God. And we've seen that from veteran players on this team, let alone, you know, we've seen Tiago do it where we all get Tiago eyes because we're like, what did he just do? Like, you never see Doak go into a challenge and say to yourself, if he doesn't win that challenge, they're going the other way for a goal. He he just seems to play within himself. He picks out the right pass. It's like he crosses at the right time. He cuts things back. He holds balls up. Just seems like a player who is very, very, very mature for his young age. 
and for the lack of top level football he's had. And I think sometimes that's the sign of a special player because they start to develop the hows and the whys before they're ever taught it because it's just naturally in their game. And I think, you know, I don't know, trying to get ahead of myself here, but there is a reason that the people in Scotland talk about him like he is their next great, great coming talent. Like they were very, very excited when he came to Liverpool. And I think a lot of people were disappointed because they wanted to see that progression of him, like making it through the, you know, moving to Celtic and moving up through the ranks there and getting more minutes and becoming like Scottish hero and not, you know, maybe coming to Scotland, maybe coming to England so young in his career that he could pull a a Jack Grealish and, you know, try to find somewhere on the map where he was born in England and then him look at him and be like, I wasn't born in England, you asshole. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is like, I mean, I guess I'll replace Ox with Doak now. Hopefully he doesn't end up the same way, but it's a great opportunity for him. Like these games where I don't think he did very well, uh, but I think he, like the, you know, on Thursday, but I think as he gets more minutes, I kind of like that exactly what you said, that he has the confidence, he picks the spots. Uh, I think he looked like he physically kind of got outmatched, it felt like, on Thursday. Maybe the scene was kind of like too big, the fact that the game was away. If you're watching one guy who's Galley's spotlight on on Wednesday, whose performance that you're going to be really, really watching? Uh, I'm going to say one and then one A. One, I'm going to be watching Endo, and I, I, I do think it's been unfair, some of the criticism of him so far. And the other thing is, people, no one thought Fab was that sexy of a player until he wasn't here anymore, and we all wanted yes. a new number six. Actually, we didn't even like Fab when he was a really good Fab. We didn't start seeing Fab's value until he fell off to the point that we didn't have yes. one. It was a boring job. midfield. <laughs> right, right. Right, like Fab Genie Hendo. Oh, sideways passes. And now it's like, can they run? But can they run? It's like, what did Genie do other than run? He ran into the box, scored goals. Like, that's what Henderson did. And Fab did all the other work, right? I want to see Endo. He doesn't have to be Fab, but I need to start to see what they saw in him to think he could play this role because I think he has to play a role on this side. And the other one for me, as much as I like watching Gravenberch, I think this is big for Gakpo. I think every time Gakpo gets a chance to get out there, he gets a new opportunity to reinsert himself into the plans here. Because, you know, this season, I said it at the beginning, I didn't like him playing in the midfield in the eight. I thought it was a disservice to him. And I think it kind of set his season backwards. It allowed Darwin to get extra minutes, score some big goals. I feel like he's jumped him now. And we all know what Jota is. Jota's a match winner. You put him in. He'll do nothing, and he'll score you the game winner or the clinching goal. And I I, I think it's important, even if Gakpo doesn't score, I think it's important that he shows that he has connection with players, that he can connect with the midfielders. I just think Gakpo really needs to to have a win for himself. Like, how great would it be if if we went out and won 3-1 to and he had two goals and an assist and put in, like, a big performance? Now his confidence grows, like – that really starts to change how you can change things. Because I think he's getting forgotten how good he was yes, from exactly. last January to last May. And uh, so for me, Endo, it's kind of proof is in the pudding. Get some starts, put in some minutes. Gakpo all day. How about you? 
Who are you um, watching? Ryan says Endo and Gravenberg. I'm going with Endo one. If you're doing the one, I think Endo because is he being unfairly judged or, you know, how many games do you give to see? I think you see it here and there. And, you know, sometimes when a player does well, and then we keep like Costas, everybody is like, he needs a run of games. Well, maybe Endo needs a run of games. And I think he's going to get that opportunity and see what he does. Uh, and Doak actually is my probably one. Okay. Want to see? I think Gavin Birch like that is an easy choice too, just because he's newer. We want to see what why we were really after and why club really wanted this dude. I think we're already seeing it though. It's like a new and improved uh, genie kind of a player is what I see in him. Uh, so well, it's going to be interesting to see him as well in action. He's got Paul Pogba's size, silkiness, and he doesn't have the smug look or the hairstyle that makes you want to punch him in the face. Like in all seriousness, like I watch him play and I'm like, you can kind of see he kind of glides for such a big yeah. guy. He moves laterally. Well, he's got great like coordination. I know it sounds stupid. Oh, he's a professional athlete. He's got good hand-eye coordination, but <laughs> you can, you can see the silkiness in his game of why people say he's got the steel of a six, the size of a power, you know, he can defend a set piece in the box yet. He can pop up in the, in the midfield or in the box as a midfielder. And you saw that a couple times in the Europa league match. Like I remember looking up and being like, why is number 38 ahead of all the attackers? And you're like, Oh wait, remember when Jeannie used to make those runs into the box and score these goals. Like I, I, I genuinely think like we talked about how we never replaced Jeannie. I think Klopp knows what he has here. Yeah. He just needs to make sure that like Jeannie did, he learns the system first and what your job is. Cause if all you do is run forward and try to score goals, they score them behind you the other way. Yeah. And uh, honestly, you don't play for Klopp is like the biggest thing I think, but I, That's... they have to have seen enough to have faith that, I mean, you see Sabosly, and what he does defensively and the work rate. I mean, if you had a guy like that on the left, not that Jones has not done well. I think you get that work rate from John. I mean, uh, Jones. But, I I mean, you see Graven Birch and you can kind of see the ceiling. Physically, I think he has a lot more tools that he can capitalize yeah. on. Well, before we leave over here, well, let's do this first, I guess. But don't forget the giveaway. If you haven't done so, head on over to YouTube. And hit subscribe over there. It's free. It's a click. And then you become a subscriber. Uh, but let's take some predictions. Give me a scoreline for Wednesday. So I'm going to say um, goals. I think 3-1. to one. I'm going to steal your scoreline. I was going to say 4-2, but I'm going to say 3-1. Um, maybe even 4-1, something like that. We'll concede something because of all the changes and the you know, I think Leicester will put out a formidable side. They're they're playing very well in the championship. They're, I think they're top of the championship with six yeah, wins yeah, and a draw and seven matches or right near there. Uh, they're playing pretty well. They didn't lose all their players, but they did give up quite a few of their players on loan and, and folks went out, but they bought some really good players too. Um, you know, expect them to come right back up to be totally honest and, and be in the Premier League yeah. next year, in my opinion. Um, always did. So I'm going to say, uh, let's go with the bigger number. I'm going to say 4-1 good guys. Um, and the goal, you know, it won't be the last second of the match, but I don't know that this match will ever feel like it's in jeopardy. 
Let's hope so. I can use that. That's for sure. Actually, 4-1 was the pred prediction I made this morning. I'm sticking with that. Uh, stepping out of my zone with the 3-1 uh, the home win with the 4-1. I do think a lot of weapons out there. I mean, usually when we do these games uh, for the League Cup games, you worry about even when we put these this rotation, you have you know Jata and Gakpo and stuff like that together. So you still have some mini cohesion in there. And I'm hoping we do this rotation and then people come in in the, you know, the last 30, last 20 minutes, like the starters. So these guys are at all times, we don't have this disconnect when we do rotate a lot. Because I think that's what's going to bring success if we're going to go in, you know, Europa League Cup, FA Cup. And this League Cup, man, I mean, normally it's not as big of a thing, but I feel like the way it has lined up just tells you it's there to be taken. So hopefully... We will go for it, and we will be here for the pre-match. We'll have the morning coffee show. We'll have our cup of coffee, and then we'll come back with the pre-match and the post-match as well uh, for the League Cup. So join us then, as I said before, and as Bickler would say, smash that button. When you said smash earlier, I was going to insert right away. I think he should trademark that word for the rest of his career. Uh, but we'll be back Wednesday morning. Have an awesome week, everybody. Take care.